0: Well, hello and welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. Hopefully, we're going to give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and even healthier than you are now. And I hope you're healthy now. I'm your host, Peter Tilden, along with Anna Pacino and Dr. David Kipper. And today we do what, Anna? We start with some very interesting stuff.
1: Oh, yes. Um, You know, it's been a few episodes since I've had something to ask you, Dr. Kipper, that made me really uncomfortable. And this is the first thing we're talking about, something that I'm not happy to talk about, which is why does it feel like something's biting me? We're going to be talking about that. You know, you feel like you're like, oh, I'm itchy. Did something bite me or not? And you don't see anything. And then we're going to dive into that. And then we are also going to be discussing needle phobia, which we've talked about before.
0: And there's something you can do about it. I mean, uh, we bring it up because most of the public, we'll find out from David, what percentage of the public is scared of needles? But it's a lot.
1: And it includes Dr. David Kipper.
0: Exactly. He really does not like needles. And then, and this just happened, the body mass index was the way that you predicted mortality and health. There are all kinds of expectations based on that. That may no longer apply. There may be another way to figure out
1: This is exciting.
0: how long you're going to live. And then say you get a pain in the middle of the night. In your stomach, what is it? That's what our caller wants to know about. So that's today's show. You're going to learn a lot, and we'll start with...
1: What's biting me? I was hoping that when we decided to cover this, you would say like, oh, it's just, you're just having a random itch or your nervous system's bothering you, but it could be microscopic bugs. Is this what what we're talking about? I'm so upset. This is a
2: pretty common call that I get. And somebody has a rash, it looks like a bite, but they don't know whether it's a serious bite. They can have different symptoms that can look differently. And now that we have telemedicine, the advantage that I have is that I don't have to leave the house. They can send me a picture and then we can figure out what it is. So for those of you listening, you've all had a bite of some sort. So I want to just run through a list a little bit. And Anna and Peter, I want you guys to jump in if you care to guess what these things look like. Let's start with bed bugs. Which are a form of mites. What What do you think those look like? What's the bite or the animal? The, <laughs> the
1: bite. Oh, I wouldn't know. But I do know that when I ch- check into a hotel, I've been told to put your suitcase in the tub first and then check the bed for bed bugs. But I don't even know what I'm looking for.
0: Depending on the price of the hotel. You may want to put the luggage on the bed and you
1: sleep in the The tub tub
0: and don't get near (laughs) it. I'm guessing a bit, you know, I'm the worst for this, David, because you know, David knows I walk outside of the house for two seconds. I go to the mailbox, I come back through pants. So, and they all explode because I'm allergic. So, a mosquito bite is huge. Yeah. A tick bite, I I don't think I've had a tick bite, but I'm guessing bed bug bite has to be
2: small, very small and itchy, really itchy. You're both right. They're small, they're itchy, they're red. But the thing about a bite, you want to ask somebody where they've been. And so if someone has not had an exposure where they could have been around a bee or a mosquito or a spider, and they've had a mattress for 17 years, I mean, those are the kinds of questions you ask. And that's what they look like. And they come in clusters. Uh, Scabies, by the way, is a form of a mite.
1: Scabies. That's a problem at old folks' homes, right?
2: Yes, they're highly contagious, but they're 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 little tiny organisms. That's why I chuckled Peter when you asked me to describe them, because you, you can't. <laughs> they're just so small. So if you have these kinds of clustered, red, itchy bites, and they can be anywhere. They tend to be more in exposed areas, so depending on what you're wearing to bed, that's generally where they come from. And those, of course, are not dangerous, and there's treatments for these. But bee stings, we've all been stung by a bee. We know what that feels like. Uh, bee stings, however, can be serious. And so when someone calls you, and they've got a big welt, and it's there's some discoloration around the red bump, these uh, things, first of all, you have to pull out the stinger if you can. But if you've been stung by a bee, and you get that phone call the first question you have to ask is if you've been stung before because if you have been stung before and you have an allergy people can get anaphylaxis from this this is where you get this overwhelming allergic reaction that can actually give you a tight chest you can have trouble breathing and it can be life-threatening so bee stings are generally not so dangerous but they certainly can be flea bites where do you think you're getting flea bites? Uh, don't say please. I mean, where on your body are you getting the flea bites? Your
1: ankles, because of the rug and the sofa, right?
2: Yes. And they're also like the bed bugs. They're small, they're red, they come in groups. I hate this conversation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you asked for it.
1: I know.
0: But Can yeah. I tell you the coolest thing? I'll tell you why this came up. It actually came up, David and I were at breakfast. My son had called him and said, I, which I didn't know, that he had a bite, and David goes, "Take a picture and send it to me." So he takes a picture, sends it to him. David, of course, while I'm eating, shows me his phone and expands the size of the bite to a hundred plus, and says, "Look at this. What do you see? There's two punctures here. That's how you know it was a spider." Oh. Now I put down my fork and I no longer want my eggs or anything no, no, on my plate because that was in my face. But David, David says, and then. Shows me what a black widow looks like. This is very identifiable. But I love that David could identify it on the phone that quickly. And then can I say what you did too, which was really cool? You said to Ben, take a pen and draw a ring around the outside of it. And tomorrow, assuming Ben doesn't shower, which is, I guess, a good guess. um, If it's bigger and it's outside of the thing, call me, let me know. If it hasn't moved or small, I never heard that before and I thought, that is the coolest thing. We got to bring this up. Bring this up on that the show. That's so cool. Never
2: thought about that. Amazing. To that point, spider bites you can usually see the bites. Uh, black widows specifically have a two fang bite on the skin. The black widows and the brown recluse bites are very serious and very dangerous. So if you get a bite of any type and you start to develop fever, chills, never mind the redness and the ugliness of where the bite was. But if you're getting systemic symptoms, you have to call the doctor because especially with those kinds of spiders, uh, they can be lethal. So you have to be very careful. Most spider bites are not lethal. They just hurt. And some of it has to do with how long afterwards you get your symptoms. So a black widow or a Around reckless, those symptoms usually come four to eight hours after you've been bitten. And you may get an initial little pain or sting, but four to eight hours later, you're starting to get really sick. So at that point, you call the doctor. And just as a takeaway, the thing that P- Peter mentioned one of the reasons that you do that is that you can get what's called cellulitis from any of these bites. And cellulitis is where the tissue around the bite breaks down, becomes infected, and cellulitis can spread through the system and be very dangerous. That's the point where you need antibiotics. Does it
1: get into your blood? Is that what the infected part gets into your bloodstream? Is that why it's so serious?
2: Yes. It first gets into the tissue and it spreads out. You draw that circle around it. Usually the next day, it's still a little bigger. You start the antibiotics. And if the antibiotics are not appropriate, it's just going to keep getting bigger. And at that point, you have to go to the hospital. So that sort of helps the doctor know. That's amazing.
1: I feel like that should be one of those things that everybody knows.
2: There are some things that one should do uh, to have in their homes as a prevention because we're all going to get bitten by something. Uh, First of all, get your tetanus vaccines because a lot of these fighters carry tetanus. And really? You need te- that, yes, you need a tetanus update every 10 years. I thought it was just rusty nails. Wow, who knew? Now, you can get it from insect bites. Have a topical antibiotic at home, so back or Neosporin. Have a topical corticosteroid, like CortAid, you could buy over-the-counter. That'll help take down the inflammation uh, you might even ask your doctor to have uh, a small dose of oral steroids just in case you are someone that's going to get some kind of severe allergic reaction. Uh, and for things like mosquitoes, get get DEET. Uh, and there's other medicines that are specific, but at least have some things available at home because they don't just bite between 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. And to call a doctor on a On a weekend or at night or on a holiday, sometimes it's tricky.
1: I was going to jump in and say, on August 11th, and I know the date because it ties back to what was going on personally in my life, on August 11th, I was at my friend's house, sitting on her back porch up here in the San Inez Valley. There are lots of, all kinds of spiders out here in the country. And I wound up getting three giant spider bites on my leg, and my friend had just gotten a black widow bite, and she was talking about the two fangs. These things swelled up huge, were horribly itchy for weeks, but they only had one dot in the center. So I was like, it's not a black widow, so I'm not going to worry about it. But still to this day, we're recording this in October. It's going to air probably first week in November. Still to this day, I have marks on my leg where it has not healed yet. And I couldn't believe <laughs> But it was one of those moments I almost texted you <laughs> because I was like, what bit me? And now I know that everybody texts you and says, what bit me?
2: Yes, it's a common call that I get. So. Be a little bit prepared uh, for just the emergent part of it. Know when to call the doctor, which is if you get systemically ill, or as in Peter son's case, if it really gets ugly and starts to get bigger, you need to get some medical attention. And make sure you look look
0: for our new game show, What Bit Me, which is going to premiere this, this fall. <laughs> yes.
1: What Welcome to me? What Bit Me <laughs> with your host, Dr. David Kipper.
0: Sounds stupid. They have a pimple popper show on, okay? I would watch people getting bitten by stuff and then going to the doctor. <laughs> Why not? I right? don't like
1: how they named it cellulitis though, because it's too close to cellulite. And it's just like, let's just not it's enough.
0: It's a trigger. It's for a you. Trigger. I feel it's triggered. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Don't get it anyway. So
1: what were you I, gonna say, David?
2: I was just gonna say as a follow up to Peter's son, I reached out to him today. He's better, all gone, back in action. And thank you for that.
1: We're going to talk about needle phobia, which I'm glad that, like I, I have a lot of questions about it. Needle phobia, how do you get around it? We've talked about some different things that are coming out to help people. I know you use a specific kind of needle in your practice so that it doesn't hurt and make a big boo boo.
2: Little, right, uh-huh. David? A wee needle. These phobias come usually from a bad childhood experience. There's a genetic basis, by the way, to the fear of needles. Do you guys know what the fear of needles is called?
1: Mis miso. Try. Try
2: Fear of needle. Okay. I'll never remember. There that. you go. They're very common, by the way. Two thirds of kids are afraid of needles, and twenty five percent of adults are afraid of needles. Thank you very much. Well, it's hard to present as an upside, like to a kid. What's the upside?
0: (laughs) The upside is, you're going to get better, but I'm not sick now. Well, this is a preventative. I don't understand what that means. Like, I want a marshmallow now, and then say, okay, then just stand there. I'm going to stick this in your arm. And you're telling him it's going to hurt a little bit, or you lie and say it's not going to hurt a little bit, and then that's one of their earliest experiences being lied to. So it's never a win-win. There's
2: no upside for a kid to get a shot in his head, you know what I'm saying? And it's a bad setup for going to a doctor. Yeah, no kidding. A young person comes into my office and the first thing I say to them, I'm not giving you a shot. And it changes the entire, I don't even know what they have or why they're there. It just changes the (laughs) conversation. And then you find out you have to give them That's right. (laughs) But the nurse, I I didn't say anything about the nurse. The nurse is going to give you a shot. That's right. Let her take the fall. There's no good way,
0: really, we're joking about this, but I'm thinking about it. You flash back, and everybody has a bad first
2: There's no great first experience, right? Correct. So what can you do about this? And I'm an expert on, the, on this. There are creams, numbing creams. There's over-the-counter lidocaine that you can get. You can get, your doctor has to help you with this. I have three or four of these in my house. You can get these compounded products that have benzocaine, tetracaine, lidocaine, They mix them all together, and you put this on the skin for 12 hours before you're going to go have a blood test or have a shot, and you won't feel the needle, which is pretty great. There are numbing shots that we all get with lidocaine, right? They're going to have to sew up a, a scratch or a laceration, but a trick with this is to ask your doctor if he puts in bicarbonate into the lidocaine. So lidocaine is an acid. It, the reason it hurts is that it's very acidic and it burns. But if the doctor will put in just a little bit of bicarbonate, it takes it away. Oh, interesting. And the, the infiltration of the lidocaine is almost painless. Next year, 2024, the FDA has approved flu mist, which is going to be a new flu vaccine. Flu mist has been around But you have to go to a doctor, you have to get a prescription. This is gonna be now something you can get easily. You can give it to yourself, you can give it to your friends and family. And it's a nice way if you're a kid to get a flu vaccine. It takes the fear out of that.
1: Weren't you talking about on an earlier episode the the, like the little patch that's gonna deliver stuff too?
2: We talked about the octopus pouch. Remember, the octopus pouch, yeah. Chinese made this little pouch that you put on the inside of the cheek. So that's available. You could put ice on the skin before the shot. That'll make a difference. If you had a vibrating device above the area on your skin where you're going to get the shot, it disrupts the nerve, nerve pathways to the pain centers, And it really helps take away any discomfort from a shot. So there's that. We talked about small needles. The, the size that you would like to ask your doctor about is something on, on the level of a 32. The smaller the number, the bigger the needle. So a size 16 oh, needle okay. we use to draw up medicine, and we typically give medicine with anything from a 27 needle all the way up to a 32 needle. The 32 okay. you barely feel. So ask your doctor they have... Wait
0: a minute. (laughs) You were suggesting that people listening to this show saunter into their doctor prior to a shot and go...
1: I'll have a 32.
0: i have a 32. And if you could tip a little bit bicarbonate in there, there's a little something in it for you. I mean, (laughs) is it with your
2: mixologist at this point?
1: And please use the vibrator.
2: It's worth an ask. (laughs) You can call before you go and say, do you have these? And if they don't, maybe you bring them in. So David,
0: one big thing, let's revert to the beginning for one more second. What's the name again of the stuff that you, you said the doctor can give you at the pharmacy, the compound pharmacy. What is that called the last
2: 12 hours? It's a compounding of all these different cane products. So it's lidocaine, benzocaine, tetracaine. Those are the three cane brothers. And they can mix all that together and you can get this compounded. You. The doctor can order this for you, but what am I and asking the doctor for? The canes? <laughs> You're asking for the numbing compound. Numbing compound. There you go. That's okay.
1: Which, by the way, as a lady who's gone in to have the um, cosmetic Botox and filler injections, they they put the numbing, numbing compound, so I'm familiar with that. And it, oh. works.
2: it works great. Do they do that in tattoo parlors also? Sometimes they will. And I know this because patients that have had tattoos have called me for this stuff and they've been allowed to use it. So I don't think they, the parlors have them, but you can bring your oh, cool. own in. Oh, God,
0: I love that. Did not know that this existed. So thank you Very for that. Cool. And
2: everybody listening who hates needles, it lasts It lasts 12 hours, David? No, it takes a while to numb the skin. And I say do it for 12 hours. You might apply it two or three times over that period of Got time. It. Up to when you're going to the doctor's stuff. Okay. And this just happened. BMI
0: apparently, uh, body, um, body mass index is no longer the best
2: predictor for mortality. Was it a good predictor anyway, David? BMI, it was the best thing that we had, but it was very, very complicated. And in all the years I've practiced, I knew what the numbers meant, but I have no idea how you calculate them. Listen to how complicated this is. So it's cop, it's calculated by taking your weight in kilograms and divide that by your height in meters squared. So uh, we've just lost our entire audience. But beyond the complication of trying to figure that out, it's not, it's not very specific and it can be misleading because you can have a weightlifter that has 8% body fat and has a BMI of 35. That's a big number. Because they're huge guys. They've got a lot of muscle mass. It doesn't differentiate muscle from fat. So the BMI can be very misleading. However, what they do have now and what they're recommending is the waist-to-hip ratio. So you measure your waist at the belly button, and then you measure the hips, and you can go anywhere around the, the buttocks, or if you don't have a big, buttocks. You can go around the fattest part of your thighs and that becomes your waist to hip ratio. The lower that ratio, the healthier you are overall.
1: Wait, so are you dividing the belly by the hip or the hip by the belly to get the ratio? It's the
2: circumference of the waist Mm -hmm. divided by the circumference of the hip. Okay. Okay. And a good number is one. If they're equal, that's a good number. If they're less than one, it's even better.
1: Well, there's not going to, I mean, I know there's all different body types, but a lot of us women have much wider hips than waists.
2: So you're, you know, so sorry. but
1: Well, (laughs) you're you're a little more vulnerable. Well, wait a minute.
0: You want one to one. You want it to be like straight down, right? That's the best. Yes. And then better than that is stomach is around the stomach is thinner and the hips are bigger correct yes so that's so you're in a better
2: shape if you're let's say that's the ratio anna right
1: oh my i just did mine it's 0.76
2: you're in good shape but this this indicator really is far more predictable of all-cause mortality and chronic illness like hypertension cardiovascular disease diabetes. Even cancer, some people feel is related to this ratio. So, this is what we're going to be using going forward. And it's a lot easier because you can do this at home with the tape measure. And if you think about where most people over 50 are carrying their weight, it's in the belly. And it's that belly fat that causes insulin resistance. Oh, there you go. I was going to ask, what is it about? Got it. It's interesting. To me, as a clinician, because it's impossible for me to calculate someone's BMI, this is not so tough. I can do this in the office.
1: Isn't technically the BMI faulty too? Because like you said, with the weightlifters, like don't you need to really go into like a submersion tank for them to be able to measure your muscle mass versus your fat mass and adipose tissue? Yeah. That's
2: exactly the point. Who's
1: going to go to like the local university and jump in a dunk tank?
2: Well, (laughs) By the way, where where this is important is that insurance companies, health insurance companies might not give you medication that you need because your BMI is off to get weight loss medicines. To get these semi-glutides, you have to show a BMI that's over 35 and you could have a BMI of 33 and be overweight or 30 and be overweight. But you will be excluded from getting your medication because of that. It so won't i will cover consider- it. Yeah. Right.
1: You're not obese enough. Like what?
0: Yeah, there's a guy like- in a room, who, an actuary, who figures out what obese oh enough is God. and what's going to cover it. Um, speaking of that, Dave, before we move on to our caller, I'm curious, as you're seeing Hollywood celebrities, not that you know, but I'm just saying, if you see celebrities and actors, it's, uh, every time... I see somebody who's lost weight. My wife goes, oh, I bet they're on the ozempic. It's people who have you've known for 30 years who've never lost weight in movies, everywhere, and all of a sudden, they're thin. Is is this ozempic thing out
2: of control at this point and are there going to be re- repercussions to that? I would say there are a lot of people using these medications. My feeling is, is that if you're overweight and you're struggling with getting a normal weight, there's great health benefits in this. But you're right. Someone... That you haven't seen for a while shows up and they're half their size, you're gonna first place you're gonna go is you're taking these shots or you're taking that, that pill. And on the other hand, it's a tremendous health benefit to be lean.
1: I mean, I don't blame people for not saying it because everyone seems to be completely crucified if you do it or if you don't do it. If you're fat, you're crucified. And if you get, lose weight, you're crucified. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you cheated. You cheated. You used those. I, I don't know. The whole discourse is pretty nasty right now. Hopefully we can, as a society, work that out, let people make their own decisions. I was just about...
0: wondering if there's a reckoning coming, like when you stop yeah, it. probably. Did they find out that six months later
1: oh, if this you happens it? and you
0: regain the weight and then your head goes. That's cause a I'm, good look, question. I know a lot of people are celebs who lost weight, gain weight, lost weight, gain weight for movie, for thing. It's really painful and not healthy. So I just, this is so new that I didn't know if there's a rebound
2: to this too. You are going to gain your weight back if you don't exercise and you don't adopt some healthy eating pattern. Yeah,
1: you go back to your old way of eating.
2: So as long as you're on that medication, and by the way, people can stay on that medication a long time. But if you're not going to adopt healthy lifestyle issues, and sleeping is in there too, Mm -hmm. you have to Mm -hmm. try to make sure you're sleeping well, then yes, you are going to gain your weight back. So hopefully this medication is a great way to get the ball rolling, so to speak. Right. all right. And then, hey, what about me, which gives you an opportunity
0: to ask Dr. Kipper a question. Here's the question for today.
2: Hi, Dr. Kipper, I was laying in bed the other night and I had a terrible stomach ache and I was just wondering when's the time that I'm supposed to
1: go to the hospital or be worried that I should go to the hospital.
2: So uh, please give me an answer, thanks, bye.
0: Which is, I'm guessing, a question a lot of people have, David, is when is it, be, like, when is this real? When is this an organ thing that's telling me you've got to go to the hospital
2: right now? Again, another very common question I get, and it's usually late at night or it's on a weekend when it's not a simple phone call. So if you think of your abdomen and, and your pelvis, that area, as a, as a pizza, a big round circle, or a pie, however you want to think of this, and you divide it into four quadrants. And you first have to know where the pain is. So the first question I will ask somebody is, is it in the upper quadrant, the upper left, the upper right, lower quadrants? And each one of those carries a different diagnostic possibility. In the upper right quadrant, you're gonna get gallbladder pain. In the upper left quadrant, you're getting your ulcer pain, your reflux issues, and you can in fact get heart issues. Uh, And the lower right, you can get appendix pain and ovarian pain. I think we talked about this before, that if you draw a line imaginary between your belly button and the top of your right hip, in the middle of that imaginary line, if you press down, that's your appendix. Uh, I had this case two weeks ago where a woman called me, said, my daughter is making sure that I call you. He's mad at me if I don't call you, so I'm calling you. But I, and I, had her lay down, and I had her do this test. She touched the midpoint of that imaginary line, and I could hear her scream on the boat. And oh I my said, God. "You're going to the hospital. You've got a you likely have appendicitis." And two hours later, she had her appendix out. So there are things that you can pay attention to and think of when you're home. Your doctor is going to run through this with you anyhow. But when you're laying there before you get the doctor on the phone, you can sort of narrow this down. And when the doctor does speak to you, they're going to ask you these questions. They're going to ask you, what does it feel like? Is it a mild pain? Is it severe? Is it dull? Is it sharp? Is it burning? Is it achy? They all have different uh, interpretations based on the quality of the pain. Um, So there, again, there's that examination you can do at home find out before you call your doctor where it is in your abdomen what the quality of that pain is and then there's another trick to your self-examination and it's called rebound when you have a rebound sensation with your pain and what that means is now you have a pain it's in one spot and you press down deep into the abdomen with your hand and you let go and the pain gets worse, that's called rebound. And that rebound, because your belly is now rebounding back, that pain indicates that you might have peritonitis, that the infection that's going on in your belly is now hit that lining, the peritoneum, that surrounds all the abdominal organs. Right. You have to get to the hospital for that, because something bad is going on. So there are a couple simple diagnostics you can do at home. And then you want to know what it's associated with. Are you you, you having nausea and vomiting and that's not responding to medication? Do you have fever? Uh, Have you lost your appetite? Those are all things that should provoke you to call your doctor because there could be something going on that's not so simple.
1: Did I miss the lower left quadrant? We talked about lower right appendix, but what's the lower left quadrant? In the lower
2: left, you commonly can have ovarian pain. You can have diverticulitis, which is that little pouchy disease of the colon. And there's also the question, is it in the front of my abdomen or is it in my back? And if it's in your back and it's a spasm kind of pain, you'd likely have a kidney stone. So all these different things can be sort of factored into the conversation that you have with your doctor and will help you sort it out from the beginning. And the last question about that is everybody has a different pain threshold. Like Laurie,
0: maybe her appendix is at the same level as mine, but it's she's not interpreting it as it that bad. And then it could burst. How do you how do you judge that? Like if she presses down and goes, it's it hurts, but it's not that bad, where I'm a, a wuss, you press down and go, oh my God because of our relationship to pain. How does a doctor, do you go go now or I think you got some time?
2: If you have peritonitis and you do the rebound test, you're going to know it. There's, no, I don't care who you are. You're going to know that. It's that bad. Okay. And there are some simple things that you can do at home first before you call the doctor. You can have some antacids at home in case this is ulcer or this is reflux. You can have some antiemetics things for vomiting and nausea. You I think people should ask their doctors to have a little bit of Zofran or some kind of anti nausea medication at home. Zofran? Zofran. It's a okay. little tablet you put under your tongue and the takes away the nausea within 20 minutes. Pretty good. Is that a prescription, David? It's a prescription. And if it didn't take it away then that's one more thing to tell the uh, doctor. Okay. I tried this, oh, this medicine. I had Tylenol for fever. Uh, if you're bloated, you may just be constipated. So have some Miralax at home. This is a white powder. You put in eight ounces of fluid. Doesn't change the taste. Doesn't change the, the coloring of whatever it is you're drinking. That puts water into the colon and it can help move things along. Uh, There are suppositories, if this is constipation or you think it is, Dulcolax, there's Colace, or things that you can buy over the counter that will help with that. And believe it or not, a hot water bottle is not a bad thing to have to put on your abdomen because if you're cramping for whatever reason, it can be menstrual cramps, it can be constipation. Uh, A hot water bottle is very soothing to the intestinal tract.
1: Listen, hot, hot water bottle or a heating pad has worked wonders for <laughs> men- menstrual cramps for decades now.
0: Yes. I love that they still have hot water bottles because it means it's the opposite of technology for me. It means yeah. time can advance. You can invent whatever you want.
1: But a sack of hot, hot water, water just and a feels good. a rubber sack, dude. <laughs> yeah, it just feels good.
0: Still still happening. All right, so let's do a,
2: a so recap. So
1: recapping today, we talked about um, a lot of disturbing things with bug bites.
2: So know your bugs. And if you have lesions that are simple and red and not painful and not getting worse, try to think about where you've been, think about the distribution. But if you have something that is stinging and painful and is associated with some systemic symptoms, fever, chills, aches, nausea, vomiting, call the
1: doctor. Great. And then we talked about some ways to handle your needle phobia, ways to make it easier.
2: Stay away from the doctor's office.
1: <laughs> Don't ever the get a shot.
2: Simplest, way. Um they're numbing creams, they're numbing sprays. Uh, ask your doctor about helping you to have some of this at home. Ice is very good. Uh, vibrations above where you're while you're getting your shot. If the doctor has something that in their office that can help with that. And small needles. We talked about small needles. Small so, needles is the key. Try to take the fear out of this by being proactive and not feeling so much like a victim or me. Don't feel like me going in for this. (laughs) In our This Just Happened
0: segment, there's a new way to determine uh, mortality that's better or more effective than body mass index.
2: Measure your waist with a tape measure around your belly button. Then go down and measure your hips. It could be around the buttocks. It could be around the thighs. And that ratio is going to be a much better predictor of problematic health issues and even mortality issues. And in
0: our Hey, What About Me call today, the caller asked about midnight pains. You're lying in bed, you got a pain. When should you be worried?
2: You should be worried if you're getting fever with these pains, if these pains are not being relieved by the simple things that we talked about uh, to help mitigate some of this. If you have rebound, where you can push into the belly and let go and it's worse. Uh, we gave you the appendix uh, map. Uh, that's when you should call your doctor.
1: By the way, if you're listening out there and you have a question for Dr. Kipper, head on over to bedsidematters.org, put in your question, and we might just answer it on the air. But also, guess what, guys? We have social media accounts now. Follow us at bedside matters podcast on Instagram and at bedside pod on Twitter.
0: Thank you, Dr. Kipper. The book is Override. It's about why you do the things you do biologically and why you're predisposed based on your brain chemistry. And then we also have anovacino.com. What do you get if you go there? You get recipes. Joy. You you get amazing sauces, really amazing sauces. They're taking the country one tomato at a time. That's right. Uh, (laughs) So check it out. It's very worth your while. anovacino.com. And most importantly, thank you. listening to bedside matters of course if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired we're here to help we offer new episodes every monday so follow us like us and have a great week a healthy week and guess what i'm rewarding you because you listened to the end the people who left don't get this next week steve martin will be on but what would be better than having steve martin on if we could just get him on with martin short wait a minute yes they are getting off at the wrong station apparently but they're going to be here Martin Short and Steve Martin will be our special guests. See, didn't it pay to listen to the end?
1: The information on Bedside Matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.